everybody, it's Miranda. The interview in today's episode was especially enjoyable because my guest is not only an impressive, strong, and accomplished woman, she's also a trusted friend of mine. I was actually one of the original founders of the Newtown Action Alliance, the grassroots group that Poe leads as their full-time volunteer chairperson. And I can tell you as someone who has watched her and many times stood beside her in the fight for gun reform over the last seven and a half years, Poe does this work because she cares deeply about people on an individual level, and she is fiercely passionate about stemming the tragic tide of gun violence in America. So I know you're going to enjoy this interview. I do have a quick programming note today. After this episode, I might need to take a short break from the podcast just to relax and enjoy my summer a bit especially during these stressful times. And with a lot going on in my own life, it's important for me to follow my own advice about practicing self-care when I need it. But if I do decide not to release another episode in two weeks, I will let you know on my social media accounts. Thanks. Enjoy the show. Please be advised that while there are no detailed descriptions of gun violence in this conversation, we do discuss the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting. Therefore, this episode may not be suitable for some listeners. Please use your discretion. Hello and welcome to Truth and Consequences, a podcast about trauma and its aftermath, where we talk about the difficult and often surprising challenges that affect us in the wake of trauma and other life-altering events. I'm your host, Miranda Pacchiana. I'm a writer and personal coach with a master's in social work and the creator of the website and online platform, The Second Wound, Coping with Family While Healing from Abuse or Assault. Today's guest is a friend and one of my personal heroes, Poe Murray. Poe is a co-founder and the chair of Newtown Action Alliance, a grassroots organization founded by Newtown residents after the Sandy Hook Elementary shooting on December 14, 2012. NAA is made up of advocates, families of victims, and survivors of gun violence who work to reverse the escalating gun violence epidemic in America through smarter, safer gun laws and broader cultural change. Poe is also a mother of four great kids she raised right here in Sandy Hook with her husband, Tom. She has long been an active and involved member of our community. In fact, in 2007, Poe helped form the Independent Party of Newtown, through which she served one term on Newtown's Legislative Council. And with that, Poe, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Miranda. It's my pleasure to have you here. So I was just thinking about the work that you do and how relevant it is to the theme of my podcast, which is trauma and its aftermath, because Newtown Action Alliance was formed directly out of tragedy, and its goal is to prevent further trauma. Um, So to get started, I just thought you could tell our listeners about NAA, Newtown Action Alliance, and how it got started and um, the work that you guys are doing today. Well. Our neighbor killed 26 children and educators with an AR-15 and high-capacity magazines, and it was very shocking for me and my family and uh, many members of the community. And people grieved differently, Uh um, and many of us decided to transform our pain and trauma by creating change um, to protect other families and communities um, with meaningful action. Uh, The... Um, Newtown Action Alliance was um, uh, coordinated by many of my neighbors, um, and we decided that 
um, it would stay a volunteer group. And until recently, uh, we it was a uh, all volunteer effort. Um, so mm-hmm. a true labor of love. And we began with a mission to you know, use our organic, unapologetic voices to push Congress, uh, state legislature, and the gun violence prevention community, and ordinary uh, community members and citizens from all across the country to honor with action, a term that you helped us create mm-hmm. um, to end gun violence. And you know, we also understood immediately that we had to form an alliance with other gun violence prevention groups and families and survivors and other ordinary citizens to create the change that was necessary. And you know, we did that in Connecticut. We rallied and marched and testified and lobbied with Connecticut Against Gun Violence and March for Change and yeah, passed the second sure longest gun laws in, in Connecticut. Yeah, and, that happened real soon after the tragedy, right? Yes. and But as you know, at the same time, um, we began to tra- uh, travel down to Washington, D.C. to begin to map out a strategy to create uh, federal changes. And you travel to DC with me. Yeah, we took Uh, that first trip. We did. Uh, So, you know, many of our friends and neighbors um, helped along the way. And and I really appreciated you joining uh, me on that journey to attend Senator Dick Durbin's Second Amendment hearing. Mm, Uh, And that's when we met Josh Horowitz, remember? Yes, I very much do. Yeah, he was from uh, Coalition to Stop gun violence. And we strategized with him on our very first bus trip to bring Newtown families and community members to DC to lobby Congress. Um, And we did that. We were able to fill a bus and we met with so many different congressional leaders. And I remember we just did not leave uh, a meeting without crying. Oh my gosh, I remember it so vividly. In fact, that memory just popped up on my Facebook feed. You probably had it too. Yeah. That trip just a few days ago. Um, it was, it was a really moving and sort of gut wrenching and inspiring trip that we took, going around to so many different legislators and talking to them about what our community had been through and what we were looking for. Right, and to this day, um, we continue to travel to D.C particularly with families that are directly impacted by gun violence, and we continue to lobby Congress. I think we've made significant progress um, in that we are now playing offense. We've um, always played defense for, for many decades. So I believe Newtown Action Alliance played a major role in changing the conversation in the gun violence prevention space, mm-hmm. uh, mainly by rejecting the, you know, the low hanging fruit strategy. Uh, the incremental change kind of concept. Yes. That mm-hmm. was being pushed by the major national organizations. And, you know, we embraced a bolder, stronger, and more comprehensive approach, um, including an assault weapons ban. Um, and so, you know, we were able to uh, pull the gun violence prevention community to where they needed to be. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And and so I feel like we've made a lot of progress um, in changing the conversation. And now we're on our way um, to change the culture and, and change the laws. And our major focus this year is on elections. Um, we're working with the Turnout 2020 campaign to recruit volunteers to call the low propensity voters um, in critical swing states. And we're also 
working on endorsing gun safety candidates um, for the 2020 elections. Um, you know, we've worked really hard um, for years and years on policies, and many of those life-saving legislative proposals have been written, introduced, and they're ready for a vote. But as we all know, um, the GOP controls the Senate and the White House, and with them um, in control, we're not able to pass any substantive gun control bills, including, you know, the the simple and necessary universal background check bills. Yeah. So it does seem like the cultural change piece that you're you're talking about too, though that 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 has also shifted a lot because when you pull um, American citizens the support for safer gun laws has just gone up and up and up since Sandy Hook, it seems like. And there's such an awareness of the need for it, especially because we just continue to keep having Mm -hmm. so much gun violence in our cities and so many mass shootings, right? Yes. And so that has that also helped you have this more offensive type stance rather than people having to apologize for wanting to support Mm -hmm. gun gun legislation or being afraid to talk about it um, in, in the political sphere. Yeah, I think we've, you know, have helped to change the conversation significantly because of the number of mass shootings that occur um, on a regular basis and the fact that, you know, gun violence is increasing um, rather than increasing over the years. Yeah. And what is it? I mean, it's sort of an obvious question, but maybe I, I would like to just hear your thoughts about how Sandy Hook touched the world in such a a different way and, and sort of spurred a whole new movement, a whole revived movement toward changing laws around guns and how we use them and and our laws in this country. Sure. Um, I think for too many years, we've allowed the NRA to um, control the narrative that guns make us safer. Um, But in reality, um, we've seen that Guns do not make us safer um, to a point where first graders can't go to school without being terrorized by you know, massive, um, mass shooters with um, weapons of war. And that was, I think, uh, a wake-up call for many Americans that it's not just children and young people in urban areas that are getting shot. Um, but that children in all communities could be impacted by gun violence. So I think Mm -hmm. it was a wake-up call for all. Staying with that concept, do you see the threat of gun violence itself as that looming threat that so many of us are even more aware of today, possibly maybe much more since Sandy Hook and the, the, the years since then? Do you see it as having a traumatizing effect itself with kids gr- growing up doing lockdown drills and, you know, knowing how many school shootings there are, or just the every different kind of public place that we live in and enjoy has now had a mass shooting. And, and so many of us are aware of that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking as an example, we took one of our kids to Europe last summer and we're just eating lunch outside one day and she says just casually wow imagine what it's like to live here and not worry every time you go out that you might be shot which just broke my heart so much and yes our kids grew up in sandy hook but i don't think they're unique to that right i mean too many children and just 
even adults are living um, in a nation saturated with civilian owned guns. And mm-hmm. um, I think that with the recent mass shootings happening everywhere has highlighted the fact that none of us are safe. We could be anywhere in a public space um, and we can get shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it takes a toll. I mean, there's something exhausting about having that vigilance and just that awareness and dropping your kids off at school and having that awareness or being the child in school. So it's a really different era that we're living in than you and I grew up in. And um, it's just not sustainable, in my opinion, on an emotional level and, you know, as well as so many others. So shifting gears a little bit, well, maybe not shifting gears, but I'm curious to know how you feel like the work that you've done has helped you deal with the emotional impact that you've had from the shooting. I know that the shooter lived on your street, and I know it it touched you so deeply, the pain that was all around you. Um, and you have stepped up in a way that is such a bigger commitment than you know almost anybody else, especially on a volunteer basis. Um, I. I felt like it was important to get involved and I was involved quite a bit, but I, you know, I pulled back at some point when it was affecting me and I, I dipped my toe in because I really care about it. But, um, you, you have this level of commitment that's unique and something I really appreciate. So I'm interested to know if if you feel like it's helped you deal with the pain of the shooting and if in some ways also it may have brought you know, vicarious trauma to you to be around so much of that pain? Um, And that's a great question. Um, So I can tell you why I got involved. Um, I think like most of us in America and around the world, um, you know, we lost a piece of our heart when when 20 children and six educators were killed, you know, so brutally with a weapon of war. Yeah. Um, So in a way... um, the work that I'm doing is really uh, an atonement for not really paying attention you know, to the gun violence issue that was plaguing our nation before it had impacted our community. I was really busy raising my four children. And I was, as you stated earlier, um, I helped to form the Independent Party of Newtown. So I was mm-hmm. very politically active you know, mm-hmm. in, in this community. Yeah. Um, and pushing for educational excellence and fighting for our children to make Newtown a great place to you know, raise our children. But uh, I felt like I failed to advocate for safety. Um, and we have an excellent school system here in Newtown, but mm-hmm. you know, it's not good enough if we can't protect our children um, mm-hmm. from a mass shooting uh, in one of the most you know, sacred places for our children. Um, in their elementary school. Yeah. So now I've been involved for all these years because I don't want my children or your children or other children to raise their own children in an environment where they have to hide under desks and be afraid to go to the movie theaters or be afraid to walk to the train station in an urban area due to gun violence. Mm-hmm. And I've met just too many grieving mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers and who have lost so much in their lives um, from everywhere across the country. And I just feel like there's a lot of injustice uh, living in a nation where too many people in a position of power 
are choosing to side with the gun lobby, the NRA, the NSSF, um, mm-hmm. rather than public safety and public health. So it makes me really mad and, and sad, and um, it, it keeps me going. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about what the NSSF is, because that's interesting, and most people won't know about that. Yes. So the National Shooting Sports Foundation is a trade organization for the gun manufacturers um, in America. And they are essentially the second strongest gun lobby in the nation and their headquarters just three miles from the Sandy Hook Elementary School. Right here in Um, Newtown. Right here in Newtown. I had and we no- didn't know, did we? Because their sign just said NSSF in this pretty little building in the center of town. That's right. And since the Sandy Hook tragedy, they've ramped up uh, spending for lobbying efforts to fight essentially any and all gun control laws. Mm-hmm. So their behavior is pretty egregious. In fact, um, just yesterday, the Supreme Court decided that they're not going to hear uh, at least 10 um, gun rights cases. And mm-hmm. NSSF um, you know, released a, a statement that they're very upset about it. Um, but obviously, we're, we're very happy um, that um, our right to protect ourselves um, is constitutionally protected. Yeah, I saw that news about the Supreme Court. Um, and it's such an irony that, you know, that the NSSF is ostensibly created to protect people, to provide safety. And yet, look what they're doing. They're fighting laws that would do so. Yeah. So they're essentially um, the gun lobby and their sole purpose is to sell more guns for the gun industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and NSSF is the group that uh, that reframe um, the AR-15s and other assault weapons as modern sporting rifles. Mm-hmm. We sell more guns because right now yeah. that is what's uh, fueling their industry, you know, the desire uh, for AR-15s and high-capacity magazines. Ah, uh, yes which also relates to our friend the Wheelers um, and many mm-hmm. other families being involved in a lawsuit against Remington for that very reason. And Remington had had that slogan, right, about their AR-15, I guess it was, consider your man card reissued. That's right. It's disgusting. It is. Well, one of the reasons that NAA has had my full support and passionate support for so long is the longstanding commitment to reaching out and joining voices with people from all communities around the country, especially those that are disproportionately affected by gun violence. Um, You know, we got so much attention here completely deservedly because it was such a horrendous tragedy that happened in our school. And at the same time, there have been so many communities all around the country dealing with day in, day out trauma and horrible impacts of gun violence. And NAA has always reached out and taken that spotlight that we got and tried their best to share that spotlight. And um, I'd like to hear you know, your thoughts about um, how NAA has always had that commitment and seeks to kind of cross that divide. Sure. Well, sadly, um, in 2017, gun deaths reached their highest levels in at least 40 years with about 40,000 gun deaths. And that number has not changed in the recent years. And 
mass shootings impact all types of communities, but the black and brown communities are most impacted by the daily gun homicides. Mm-hmm. And it's also important to remember that white men are disproportionately impacted by gun suicides, you know, which make up two thirds of all gun deaths. Okay. Um, and there are also about 80,000 gunshot survivors annually. So we don't even look at those statistics, right? The people mm-hmm. that live with the constant emotional and physical pain from that. That's right. So we wanted to highlight that there are victims um, you know, from all communities, from, um, you know, from all types of gun violence issues. So we recognize that fact almost immediately. And uh, we wanted to use spotlight on our community to give voice to those who are forgotten too easily. Mm-hmm. So um, we began right away uh, working with Representative Robin Kelly, who represented the Chicago area. And we brought families most impacted by gun violence from um, their community to Washington, D.C. with us when we traveled to D.C. every three months, um, you know, during the first year to Mm -hmm. lobby Congress. And then we decided that we wanted to host the National Vigil for All Victims of Gun Violence um, on the first anniversary of the Sandy of Tragedy. We invited uh, families and survivors from communities from all across the country to join us. And since then, um, we've been bringing these families and survivors, um, and many of them from the black and brown communities uh, to DC annually um, for the national vigil and also to lobby Congress. And we're continuing to build a very inclusive community so that we can work together. And it's really grown. I mean, the numbers and the impact that NAA makes every year going down and doing that. Um, And it's like a well-oiled machine now. And Mm -hmm. there's so many people that are dedicated to it and more joining all the time. Could you describe the vigil to us a little bit, the annual vigil, maybe start with the first one that you just touched on a little bit? Sure. So we organized the first national vigil in in a matter of, um, I would say, like four weeks. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I remember. out to our friends at the National Cathedral. Um, and also, we were able to garner support from Carol King, mm-hmm. and uh, we brought our, you know, friends and families and survivors from all across the country. And and the vigil was beautiful, and it was so um, in December, you know, near the anniversary of the Sandy Hook um, shooting tragedy. Yes, and we really did want to unite everyone. Um, including the families, survivors, activists, gun violence, you know, prevention groups, and even elected leaders. And uh, we wanted to make sure that we all left the vigil renewing our commitment to um, working harder to end gun, end gun violence in our country. Um, it's been an honor to work with um, all the volunteers uh, you know, who have dedicated themselves for many years on helping us um, organize the National Vigil. And it's been an honor to work with all the families, you know, who came to share their stories over and over again um, mm-hmm. to, to create that change. Has it evolved over the years? Because, I mean, I think it's a tricky thing to pull off because it's so impactful and to combine family members and elected officials and people who just feel an obligation to care and get them all in that room. And, and it, you know, there's singing and there's a candlelit vigil part at the end. 
it's so moving and in some ways really hard, you know, and, and I wonder what you've learned over the years and how it's kind of evolved and changed to work better. Sure. So we've taken feedback from many of the families and our national partners and others and, you know, attempted to make it better each year. Mm-hmm. Um, our major problem is sticking to the two hour timeline yeah. um, because we have so many families that are so passionate about sharing their stories. Um, and they do a beautiful job. Yeah. And for me, three hours doesn't seem long enough to honor mm-hmm. all victims of gun violence, but you know, yeah. for many, it's it's a long program, and it is emotionally draining um, yes. to be there. So over the years, we um, incorporated some, um, you know, positive uh, message toward the end of the vigil program to make sure mm-hmm. that we feel renewed before we leave the church, so that mm-hmm. we can That's make a great. commitment to continue our work. Um, you know, we are we have been very. Um, uh, fortunate that we receive funding um, so that we can pay for the trip for at least 100 families and survivors who are directly impacted by gun violence to make that trip because we don't want finances to be um, an impediment, you know, for yes. families from Chicago and Oakland and other areas mm-hmm. um, to travel really with key. us. Yeah. And that really does make a difference in the people that you're able to bring together. Yes. And I know it's really important to these families because we've thought mm-hmm. about maybe it is getting old. Maybe it's, you know, maybe we mm-hmm. can't redo this every year and make it enlightening. And um, But many of the families have pleaded with us to keep it going because uh, I know that December is a very hard time for the majority yeah. of the families um, during the holidays. I mean, they miss their loved ones so much. Yeah, I was at the vigil this year and I was at the first one. I've been to several and we spend time with the families, you know, before and after and often give them a chance to share their stories um, during those those other times. And I can just see how important it is. And they talk about how they feel unseen mm-hmm. and that, you know, the impact on their lives is so enormous and so heartbreaking. And yet they feel like people don't give them the understanding and the attention that a community like ours would get. And Mm -hmm. so I just think that's such a vital and lovely way that Newtown Action Alliance recognizes that and benefits from it too. You know, they, they contribute a lot. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it wouldn't be the same without all those families and, and you asked about how we've changed over the years. We've Mm -hmm. also added, the nationwide vigil events across the country yeah. to encourage like all communities to shine a light on the devastating impact of gun violence. And, you know, we now have um, just about every national state uh, gun violence prevention groups as partners, and they help to host local vigils all across the country to, you know, g- give voice to um, the those families who want to be heard and to honor those victims that have been um, lost in their communities. And, you know, one of the most moving things during a vigil ceremony is the tribute video mm-hmm. where um, many of these families have submitted the photos of their loved ones and we create a video and that is shown um, during the entire um, programming and we also provide those uh, tribute videos to uh, the hosts of the local vigil 
it's across the country. So it's mm-hmm. being shown all you know across the country. Oh, it's so moving. And what kind of participation? I mean, I know, but you know, tell our audience about what p- kind of participation you get from elected officials, including our Connecticut senators. Sure. So one of the reasons why we moved the national vigil from the National Cathedral to St. Mark's Episcopal Church on Capitol Hill mm-hmm. is to try to encourage more elected officials, um, elected members of Congress to join us at the vigil. And they can and, just pop over. Yes. Yeah, so they can just <laughs> pop over and support the families and survivors who are there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we received more support this past year than before, but typically only our Connecticut delegation and a few others have joined us, mm-hmm. um, which has been a disappointment. So we need to do more work to try to get more congressional members involved because it really will take a village you know, with the congressional leadership to create the change that's necessary. Do you think there's still apprehension from a political standpoint? Uh, for the Democrats, no. Okay. But definitely for the re- many Republicans who uh, take money from the NRA, yes. Yeah. But, you know, we have been ho- hosting these national vigils for um, seven years now. And, you know, we invite every member of Congress to join us, you know, to take a couple of hours during the year for the sole purpose of honoring all victims of gun violence. And um, I don't feel, you know, they have taken it completely seriously. And yeah. we want them to. We get it. December is tough. You know, they have a lot of events to attend, but we're hoping that more of them will take the vigil you know, more seriously. I mean, it's been supported by, like I said, Carol King. Um, we've mm-hmm. had artists like Nat- Natalie Merchant and Roseanne Cash join us. Um, and also, it's been really important to incorporate families um, who have been impacted by gun violence. So Francine and David Wheeler have performed. Um, yep. And Eric Donnelly um, from The Ultimate Roots, who lost his parents to a tragic shooting mm-hmm. um, in Fairfield, Connecticut, he's performed as well. So we have a lot of support from yeah. the And you've had, I mean, you, you've had political figures too. I, I remember Valerie Jarrett was there one year, um, in addition to Senators Blumenthal and Murphy. Who else mm-hmm. has attended the vigil? Oh, uh, well, Nancy Pelosi has oh, attended right. our vigil several times. Um, she's uh-huh. been our keynote speaker for the last few years, um, particularly after uh, the 2018 you know, sweep. Um, you know, yeah. we, we felt that it was really important for her to show up and make a commitment to the families that she will continue to fight hard as she can to create some substantive changes on a federal level. So it was great to um, have her support for the last few years. I was doing a little bit of research before we talked about grief, and I was reading David Kessler, who's a grief expert and a founder of grief.com, and he talks about how people find meaning through taking action when their emotions are so overwhelmed by their grief that they find a way to honor the person they love and kind of keep their memory alive by doing that. And I found a quote where he said, we come away from something so devastating that we go, the story just can't end this way. Their life needed to matter and their death needed to have some meaning. And I know that you see that kind of work done by loved ones on a regular basis. Just wondering if you had any thoughts on that. Sure. I do notice that survivors deal with trauma differently. 
but the pain is, is very same for all. And then there's a spectrum. Some family members are overcome with grief. Um, so they feel powerless to take action while others are empowered, right, by their mission to seek justice mm-hmm. for their loved one who was taken so brutally by gun violence. And, you know, many of these families uh, that are impacted by gun violence are not my friends. And I, yeah. I work with them to honor their loved ones, you know, as much as they are. Uh, so, you know, we formed a, uh, a coalition, um, particularly with with um, families like Fred Gutenberg and Kristen and Mike Song um, mm-hmm. who travel to D.C. with us on a regular basis. And you can just feel that their mission, you know, will will create some type of justice for, for their lost loved ones in the future because they feel yeah. so empowered, you know, by, by their need to seek change. I think so too. And I think that when I see their compassion as well, that they don't want other families, they desperately don't want other families to keep having to live what they're experiencing. And I think that when survivors like that are able to tap into their own empathy for others, that that can be soothing for their soul. You know, nothing is going to really reduce the impact of such a profound grief on your life. But to find ways to make meaning out of it, I think is important. And I think that you have such a front, you know, a front row seat to that happening around you. And it it must be moving for you. Uh, It is, you know, but it's still very hard and, um, and emotional many times. Um, Sure. You remember so, Lee Kiwa, yeah, right, from Narrative yes. 4? Um, yeah. He uttered the words radical empathy, and uh, I, I connected with those words immediately because that describes Fred and Kristen and Mike and so many others, you know, who who can easily internalize pain being felt by others and their own pain and, you know, staying focused on a mission to prevent these, you know, these heartbreaking moments for others. So, so yeah, but it also, in a way, I think what you're saying too, is it leaves you open and vulnerable to kind of feeling new waves of pain as you're doing the work. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think working in this space is definitely traumatic as you know, um, you know, you've been in and out um, of this space, but it, it is challenging because we are constantly exposed to loss and grief and Um, But at the same time, being an activist with a mission helps to overcome those challenges. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think advocacy is a powerful therapeutic tool for many of us um, in the healing process. Is there there anything that you've learned to do for yourself when it does start to feel like too much for you? Do you have a way to take a break or just kind of, um, you know, take care of your emotions? Uh, it's tough because you can't control um, the breaking news about shootings. It happens yep. nearly on a daily basis, um, even though they might not um, report on it in CNN and the cable news. But mm-hmm. you know, I'm reading about it every single day. Um, right. So it's definitely a heavy burden. Um, so uh, when there are some traumatic events that happen, um, it definitely opens old wounds. And um, and I happen to be a crier 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I cry a lot. You know, I. Oh, that's probably good. It probably is good because I feel better about it afterwards. But there yeah. was a moment in time when I didn't cry and I was worried. Um, mm-hmm. I was trying to be just, you know, strong for everybody else. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of a warning sign for you. It is. That's a warning yeah. sign when I stop crying. Um, that's but, good to know. Yeah. And also that nature of the news breaking with another mass shooting, the nature of it is that it's always going to be a surprise. It's going to come out of left field, right? That's I right. mean, we know that they're going to happen, but we don't know when and we don't know where and we don't know the details. And so that it, that really is re-traumatizing. That's something you and I see in ourselves and in our community here. Luckily, I have um, a wonderful husband and family who support what I do. I think mm-hmm. it would be really difficult if they didn't. Yeah, And, you know, I do try to take care of myself physically mm-hmm. and, um, and take the time to do some things that I enjoy, like cooking and traveling and eating good food and mm-hmm. you know, some good wine. So, Well, and you're fun to hang out with. I can <laughs> attest to it. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. Yeah. Um, Okay. So I just have a couple last questions that I was thinking about. I was wondering if there are any common misconceptions about, well, I know there are, about Mm -hmm. Newtown Action Alliance that you might want to (laughs) address. Well, one of the first things is that uh, most people think we're Sandy of Promise. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yes. (laughs) Two different organizations. That's right. But I could see why people are confused. Um, Sure. So I have to explain that to many people. Um, Okay. um, I think people also um, think that we are a local group focused on Newtown and Connecticut issues, but Mm -hmm. we're actually a national organization. That's Um, right. Yeah. The Alliance, yeah. the word Alliance there. And, mm-hmm. you know, our, most of our work is with um, our partners and building an alliance for mm-hmm. campaigns, et cetera. Um, I think there is another misconception that um, there is significant funding and staff for our organization. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but as you know, you know, we um, have been volunteering for all these years until just about a month and a half ago, we decided to hire our first part-time person. Exciting. Congrats. To help with the Turnout 2020 uh, campaign and with endorsements, because we really feel at this moment in time, it's all about getting out the vote and re- electing the right candidates to pass the substantive you know, gun control laws that we need. Um, so... Yeah, that is so important. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this to you, but one of my most vivid memories and sort of realizations is when, I don't know if it was the trip you and I took that first trip. I don't think it was, but um, in 2013, when we were down there in DC for, I don't know if it was a bill or a hearing, but we walked by demonstrators um, holding up signs because the a voting rights act was up mm. for was it renewal i mean they they chose not to renew the voting rights act mm. and while we were down there it was on the chopping block and i looked over at that demonstration and i remember thinking to myself well everything we're trying to do here is mm. going to be affected by what what's happening over there that's right and i never forgot that that's right there's a lot of intersectionality and therefore you know we work with many people uh, and organizations that are working on other issues that 
are important to us. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. That's why we have a partnership with Turnout 2020 to, Wonderful. Um, you know, find uh, volunteers to call low propensity voters in those swing states. Is that so, so crucial important. this year? Yes. I mean, crucial every year, but so crucial this yeah. year. Um, there is going to be a lot of voter suppression. Yeah. So and it's one so more important to that. So yeah, there's another misconception that we're a gun control group that work on, you know, saving only white people's lives. And it's all about mass shootings. And, mm-hmm. and that's not the truth. As I explained earlier, you know, we mm-hmm. reached out to our friends um, from Chicago, Hartford and beyond. So yeah. We've really created a coalition. And you really have. And it's not just on paper. It's not just in theory. It's a true coalition. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're wrapping it up, but I'd love to hear if there are any programs besides um, Election 2020. Other than that, are there any programs within NAA happening right now that you want people to know about? Yes. So right now we're supporting the Junior Newtown Action Alliance's efforts to unite um, you know, communities like Newtown with New Haven and Chicago and elsewhere. Uh, they're planning a national um, summer gun violence prevention music series to um, use music as a vehicle to you know, unite young people to talk about gun violence and to figure out how they can move forward to create change that's necessary. So I'm really excited about it. Um, our idea. two fellows um, from Yale, Yamani and Patrice, are working mm-hmm. with Natalie Barden, who lost uh, her younger brother, mm-hmm. Andy Hook, and uh, uh, Danielle, who are co-leaders of the Junior Newtown Action Alliance on the music series. So we're looking forward to um, supporting that effort um, in the summer. And, you know, we're in the process of organizing more webinars with congressional leaders to continue to um, virtually lobby for many of the policies that we support. We recently held a uh, webinar about safe storage with Kristen and Mike Song and mm-hmm. uh, Representative Rosa DeLaro and Senator Blumenthal. Mm-hmm. And we also held a uh, webinar about the um, resources for Gun Violence Victims Act with Debbie Marcusal Powell and Representative Dwight Evans from Pennsylvania. Um, and yeah, so we're coming up with other webinar series to continue to um, educate, you know, people about the mm-hmm. gun violence prevention bills that are in the works and to continue to keep people engaged um, during the pandemic. Wonderful. Okay. And the, the uh, summer music series, that's virtual? It is. It's virtual. Okay. So anybody can get involved in that, right? Yes. And, and, and it's not just for students. I mean, we encourage um, people of all ages to join and participate Terrific. in the students. That's such a great idea. Okay, so if people are hearing this and they want to get involved or they want to donate or learn more, what should they do? Well, they should go to our website, uh, www.newtownaction.org, and sign up for our newsletters um, so that they can get regular action alerts and updates from us. And if they're interested in joining um, as a volunteer or helping with any of the initiatives that uh, I discussed today, then they can sign up to volunteer. 
who can use volunteers from anywhere across the country. Great. Okay. Poe, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. I miss you. I miss you too. And thank you for <laughs> supporting our efforts for all of you and Adam. I've been of a great supporter. Thank you. So uh, it's been our pleasure. And it, yeah. All right. Well, I guess that wraps it up. Thank you so much. Could you benefit from one-on-one help as you navigate the second wound? I can help. I offer personal coaching services via phone, video chat, live texting, and even email. Together, we will determine your goals and work to make them a reality. These might include examining and understanding the family system you came from, advocating for yourself effectively, setting boundaries, developing better coping methods, and creating and maintaining a healthy support system. You can go to the coaching page at secondwound.com to see my rates and learn more about how my personal coaching services work, or email me at miranda at secondwound.com to get started. I get it, and I can help. Original music for the Truth and Consequences podcast is composed and performed by my friend David Boyle. Thank you, Adam, for being my podcast engineer and partner in most things and for being such a steadfast, loving, and perpetually cheerful dad to our kids.